I think that brand and marketing design is the perfect mix of art and science because to do it well, you do need both sides. If you're just focusing on making beautiful visuals and making something that feels good, but you're not thinking about, okay, how is this gonna take someone to convert them into the next step in our funnel? How is this gonna encourage them to take action? How are we gonna stay top of mind as they consider all their options amongst all the you know different tools they're considering? Then the beautiful art you're creating doesn't serve the business, which is ultimately the reason why you're creating it in the first place. Let's be realistic. That's what design is. Welcome to Deep Dives, my name is Rid, and this is where we go deep with the best designers so that you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. Today's guest is Charlie Marie, who's the creative director at ConvertKit and the host of Inside Marketing Design, where she interviews brand and marketing teams at Figma, Shopify, Webflow, and a bunch of other amazing companies. Today's episode is a deep dive into branding, career advice, analytics, and a bunch more. But first, I wanted to know what is it like being the creative director for a product that I use every day? Yeah, this is a great question. I'm glad you asked. When I first became a creative director in tech, I honestly didn't know what a creative director did within a tech company. I had to figure that out. I lead our brand studio team. We're a multidisciplinary team of creatives and we're responsible for evolving the ConvertKit brand, making sure creators feel affinity with it, that we're creating things that they can relate to, that help educate them on our product, as well as reducing the marketing assets we need to market the ConvertKit app. I watched a video of yours and you talked about how last year you advocated for a promotion, but like a different type of role where you thought you could have a little bit of a higher impact. And I think that's a pretty scary thing for a lot of designers. And I'd love to just learn more about what that was like and, and how you kind of even positioned it and ultimately what the outcome of that conversation was. Yeah, it was, I think about a year in or maybe even less into this creative director role that I realized asset had been defined when I was first moved into it, did not suit what I wanted to be doing in my career. One of the main things that I was responsible for at the time was reach. So getting ConvertKit stuff in front of more creators. And the more I thought about this and the more I struggled with it, I was like, wait on, this is marketing. This is a marketing activity to get in front of more people. As a creative, I can contribute to this by making stuff that is highly shareable, really engaging, so that when someone sees it, it encourages them to take action. But having a marketing skill set, that's not what I wanted to grow in. I didn't want to learn how to get more attention and like grow more reach. And so that was a problem, right? That was what my role was requiring me to grow into and I didn't want to do that. Luckily, I have a really, really supportive team around me and a really supportive manager. I brought it to him and I was saying, this doesn't suit me. Here's some suggestions for ways we could slightly change my role and change our team structure to make it a better fit for me which in turn is a better fit for ConvertKit. And that was a risk. And I knew going into it that I had to be ready to accept if the answer was, this is your role. If you don't like it, you have to leave. And that's what I was ready for. I knew this wasn't right for me. I love ConvertKit, love the team, but I can't spend the majority of my time doing something that I'm not passionate about. Life is too short for that. Lucky for me, it all worked out. I managed to make a convincing case. Now we have this brand studio team structure that is more focused on creative output and evolving the brand rather than growing reach. 
Can you talk about the collaborations and maybe even like the tensions between the brand studio team and the marketing team? Because I would imagine you're almost always working together. And if it makes sense, using this lens of ConvertKit just launched the Creator Network, which is a pretty mm -hmm. big initiative. Can you help us get a sense for how does something that big come to life? And what are those points of collaboration with other team members? Yeah, at ConvertKit, the brand studio and the marketing team, we work closely together. And in fact, before we did this org structure change and I became creative director, most of us used to be one marketing team. And I think that helps with our collaboration. We know each other well, we know our working styles. So when it comes time to launching a new feature like the Creator Network, that's a big feature for us and something we know that we want to do a big campaign for. The role that I play in this as creative director is setting the brand positioning for the campaign in the creative direction, the campaign narrative. So I'm involved with our product marketing manager where she's positioning the product through the feature and I'm positioning the brand. And we combine that into what we want to communicate through the campaign. This was definitely an area of growth for me because previously in my role as a marketing designer, I would have thoughts and opinions on the like campaign messaging and strategy, but wasn't actually responsible for creating it. So that's been fun to dive into. Um, so yeah, that's where collaboration starts with me and the product marketing manager. And we're a very collaborative team in general at ConvertKit. So everyone can add their input, share their thoughts and opinions. Then marketing handles the go-to-market strategy. So they're saying what we need to produce and what channels we want to put it out to and how often this is the timing, how it's all going to work. And then on the brand studio side, we're responsible for creating all those things and making sure that, okay, we know we need to have a website or a landing page that we can send people to. We can decide then, is it just going to be a regular feature page? Do we want to do something more custom for the creator network general launch? We're doing something very cool and more interactive. And so I'm excited about that. And that was more a brand initiative that we saw we could do for the campaign. But yeah, that's how the, the collaboration works. So one of the things at ConvertKit is you talk about bringing the brand into being for creators by creators, which like mm -hmm. sounds really cool. It's an awesome rallying mission, but it's also ambiguous. Like what does that actually translate to? So how do you take something pretty high level in terms of a brand positioning and how does that actually get to the creative that you are making and the different campaigns that you are powering? How do you take that next step from this high level vision to, all right, let's make something. So I think it's more important is like how we do that, how we show it, not just saying that we're for creators by creators. And for us, that starts honestly right at hiring. We want to bring creators onto the ConvertKit team so that the people who are working on the marketing campaigns, who are working on the video assets, even hanging out in support queue, answering creators questions, that they have a deep understanding of creators because they are creators. That's really celebrated at ConvertKit. And I love that. And I think that's really important. We aim to make creators the heroes of our brand. So that's a choice we often make in design and in producing our brand assets. We have this fantastic program of profiling creators. A storyteller on my team interviews creators, writes long form profiles about them that go up on our blog. But as part of that, we do photo shoots with each creator. And that not only gives the creator a nice set of like brand photos for themselves, but we as ConvertKit get to use them as our own personal stock image library. So every photo you see on 
our website. That is a real creator who really uses ConvertKit and we really took that photo or paid a photographer to take them. And we look for chances to use creators' photos whenever we can to make sure that, you know, we're always profiling them in their creative spaces. We generally look to bring a sense of creativity to everything we do as well. We just recently revamped our illustration style and they're very sketchy and loose and they feel creative. They have that sense of you're at the beginnings of an idea and you're working through something. So that's some of the choices we make in trying to express that we are for creators by creators is partnering with creators to feature them as part of our brand and making sure we're producing creative things ourselves. You mentioned the illustration style. I totally noticed it. It's really, really cool. And I get the whole early stage ideation feel from it. Can you share a little bit more about how you manage these illustrations internally as a team? And what are the systems that you have in place to make sure that the brand is cohesive and things are kind of fitting together? Yeah, I'm going to be honest that it wasn't for a long time and it still isn't. We have a lot of illustrations existing out in the wild that haven't been replaced with this new style. And I don't know, that's sort of something I've gotten used to. I've been part of this small team for a little over six years now, and I'm used to the like small team way of operating where you cannot do everything all of the time. You got to let some things go. And for a long time, illustrations were one of those things for us. But we just wrapped up a project to officially sit down and define our illustration style before it was up to the designer to interpret the brand however they wanted when they created something. So we have that defined now. We worked with a really talented graphic designer on that who does contract work for us. And I essentially played the role of art director in that, encouraging her to try different things, giving her feedback. And we ended up with this style of like three levels of illustration. So really detailed, less detailed, and barely bigger than an icon. And we're just working on building out that illustration set at the moment, essentially. We know we want to create one for every section of our app, every main benefit we try to communicate, and we're just working our way slowly through them. There's only 10 in the system so far, and we hope to just keep building it out month by month through the rest of the year. Can you share a little bit about how brand and marketing design fits in with some of the internal design systems that a team is using and what that relationship is like? Yeah, so there are two of us handling design on the brand and marketing side, myself and the senior brand designer on the brand studio team. And then we have three product designers at ConvertKit. And so we will meet every two weeks for a design team meeting and make sure we've got strong lines of communication across the two sides of design at the business. We have one shared design system file in Figma where we have our logos, our colors, the illustrations live in there now too, and a few other things that we know we share across the product and marketing site. Aside from that, we maintain separate design systems because while the product might want to do something that's much more functional and also they use a lot more shades of gray than we do on the marketing site, we're like color. And so, you know, I think that having that one shared system in the middle allows us to stay aligned on the things that are most important and that having the design team meetings creates that alignment without us having to all work from the same system. It leaves it up to the experts of each area, right, to make, make some of the decisions. Can you share more about what you think makes a brand visually iconic? And Ooh. what are the things that you're doing at ConvertKit to take steps in that direction? 
I think what makes a brand visually iconic is when it has a point of view and an opinion that is driving it. I think that we're not there yet with ConvertKit and having a truly iconic brand, but that there is so much potential for it to be, given the mission we have as a company, the fact that we are founded by our creator, we exist to help creators earn a living, we're a team full of creators, we put that into everything we create. I had someone comment on one of my YouTube videos the other day about my illustration system where they were like, what market research did you do to know that this was the right style? Like how many user research calls? And I was like, guess what? Did a big fat zero. <laughs> and, and that's because I'm doing market research all of the time. Like I'm constantly learning about creators, both through my own experience and from staying in touch with the customers who use ConvertKit. That all feeds into the design decisions we're making, even if the research isn't happening right there and then. I think that foundational, that like base understanding and deep knowledge of an audience is what can be a foundation for an iconic brand in the future. I love that. I think as designers, we so often put research into a box as a step within a design process. And it's like, every step is research. We're always researching. We're constantly learning and trying to deepen the understanding that we have with the end users, the people that are coming across our brand in the wild. So I have no qualms at all with the big fat zero. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Gotta, gotta be honest, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you also talked in one of your videos about wanting to contribute more towards the overarching company strategy. Mm. What does that look like for your role and, and what are the steps that you're taking to do that? That sense that I had that I wanted to be more involved in strategy, I just wanted to be able to contribute more in that area and not only have be, be more of a voice at that level of the company, but also get to learn from that too. That came about as I was discovering the opportunity to be moved into a creative director role. And so that was a huge reason why I wanted to take the leap into it was so that I could be in those leadership meetings so that when we're writing up like a company strategy doc, I'm one of the people that our CEO is asking for feedback on it with. And for me, that's looked like learning a lot from how other leaders contribute to that type of conversation, like looking at what feedback they give as an indicator for the level of detail that perhaps I should be going into. But I also have been really lucky to have a lot of encouragement from other leaders at ConvertKit that my opinion is valuable and that they want to mm. know what I think. I am very vocal <laughs> whenever like feedback is, is asked for on strategy. I always like sit there and I think about it and I try to, you know, give my take on, on what we should be doing. And we don't always obviously listen to me. <laughs> I don't know best all the time. <laughs> but just having that encouragement and, and being encouraged to speak up and have a voice, I think has been really important. I'm really grateful that at ConvertKit, my perspective as a designer, but also as a creator is valued at the high like strategic company level. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you're really flourishing in that role, which is exciting. You've been at ConvertKit now for, I think, over six years. Mm -hmm. which that's like that's a long time in tech I, I commend you that's a pretty awesome um, it's over it's, half my career now I think it's amazing I mean it speaks it speaks to what ConvertKit and Nathan are, are doing you have to create a really special place for someone to want to stay for six years when it's not like you know you wouldn't be able to find other opportunities so yeah, yeah. especially it's, when you're someone like me who is very very much has a growth mindset I don't want to stay stagnant in my career I want to continue to learn and improve and I need to be working somewhere that allows opportunities for that I've been surprised honestly for such a small company we were only like 20 something people when I joined six years ago and now we're only at like 70 six years mm. later so that's not that fast of growth in, in the tech world especially but despite the company intentionally growing slower I as a you know creative professional have been able to really grow in my career in that time. 
Can you share a little bit about some of the ways that you think you've grown over the last six years, maybe outside of the more like contributing to company strategy? Um, Yeah, I think that the way that I've grown most in my career over the past six years has been through following curiosities and honestly stepping out of my lane, not just doing the work that someone has asked me to do and creating the landing page, creating the social media assets, whatever it is, but more being the one to come up with ideas for a B test we could run on our site myself and like ideas for other projects, learning from other people on the team and their areas of expertise and focus and diving in there where possible, not stepping on toes, but contributing, you know, and getting out of just focusing on design. That I think has had a huge impact on me because I've been able to become, I think, more well-rounded as a designer because I'm bringing in all these other skill sets that I dabble in from time to time. And it's all making the design and brand work that I do stronger because it's informed by all those other things. I'm glad you brought up A-B tests because my impression of you is that you are able to wear like a lot of very different hats, especially for someone that's like more in brand, like you're in such a creative role more than a lot of product designers. And yet here you are like doing a lot of talking about technical skills or being more data driven. So I, even just to start at like a high level, I'm wondering how do you strike this balance between testing things and doing A-Bs and measuring conversion rates versus being like truly creative and preserving the artistry of your role? This is why I think that brand and marketing design is the perfect mix of art and science, because to do it well, you do need both sides. If you're just focusing on making beautiful visuals and making something that feels good, but you're not thinking about, okay, how is this gonna take someone to convert them into the next step in our funnel? How is this gonna encourage them to take action? How are we gonna stay top of mind as they consider all their options amongst all the you know different tools they're considering? Then the beautiful art you're creating doesn't serve the business, which is ultimately the reason why you're creating it in the first place. Let's be realistic. That's what design is. And I think that that's why I have dedicated so much of my free time to making content about branded marketing design. I want more people to realize this. The working title for a book I'm working on at the moment on this topic is more than making things pretty. I just want people to realize that branded marketing design goes much further than making things look good. And that when you create the beautiful art with a base understanding of the goals that you're aiming for and the impact that you need it to have, it can be really, really strong and it can take you really far in your career too. You heard it here first. January 2024 <laughs> is the oh, book no, release date. To a deadline? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Strike that from the record. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's I mean it's it's obvious that you are bought in on like the power of, of, of telling stories with data. What are some of the ways that you get the rest of your creative team to embrace that mindset? Mm. So I had a really fun challenge to, to do this with the brand studio team because many of them are like more on the artistry side of things. A way that I helped it connect in their mind, I think, was talking about looking at insights, looking at metrics as telling data stories. Every time you look at a chart or you're looking at a spreadsheet of numbers, what you're really looking for is what story are these numbers telling me? What story is this chart showing? This line is going up. What does that mean? What does that tell me about how my work is performing? And framing it that way, I think helped my team to feel less afraid of data or like less overwhelmed by it, right? as well as to understand that what I was looking for from them wasn't for them to tell me, oh, this video had a 30% retention rate. 
I want to know how does that compare to the previous one? Are we making improvements in creating content that helps engage creators and gets them to stick around longer? Was there a certain point that more people dropped off that we should be aware of next time? And like digging into those details so that the data means something to us and is valuable to us. How do you figure out what the story is that the data is telling you? Do you have like an example Ooh. of where you are able to kind of see past just the numbers and, you know, chart go up and actually see the, the why and, and a little bit of a deeper understanding of what was happening behind the scenes? When I check in on our metrics and something seems different than what I expected, either it's like off of our forecast, it's doing way better, it's doing way worse. Then you go, okay, why? Why might this be happening? And you start to come up with a hypothesis. This is why I think it's really important to step out of my lane as a designer and understand other parts of the business because other parts of the business could be impacting this thing that I'm looking at. And so I think about what I've heard is happening recently. Think about at what point if, if the site conversion rate, for example, what point of a user's journey are they landing on this page? Has the traffic to this page changed recently? Have we changed what type of traffic we're sending to the page? Just start to like really try and think about reasons why it should be happening and follow hunches and follow curiosities to dig into that data as well. Sometimes you're piecing together a story and you're not quite 100% sure if it is accurate. It might stay a hypothesis, but it's still useful, I think, to, to think about data in that way. Yeah, I love it. Something that I've been trying to grow in more recently is sometimes you can just like look at the data and look for what stands out and try to figure out the hypothesis. But actually sometimes it works a little bit backwards too, where it's like, I'll actually approach it with, I can make a hypothesis that like maybe one of two or three things are happening. And then like, it almost creates a lens to through which to look at the data and being able to, it almost shines a light on certain things that maybe otherwise wouldn't have stood out. I think it's great for anyone who you know works as a creative professional to have aspirations to get better with data. There's still things that I want to learn better how to dig into so that I'm, my hypotheses are more based in reality and they can be more accurate and be more trusted. But yeah, I think it's a good curiosity to follow and that it can only make your work stronger when you learn things from data. So on, on top of the data side of things, you also talk a good deal about the importance of being able to understand HTML and CSS as designers, mm. which I'll be honest, I didn't see coming <laughs> from a brand really? designer and like creative director. I was impressed. And so can you talk a little bit more about like why that is so important for you and maybe even a little bit about how you went about growing in that area? So my hot take is that maybe not all designers need to know how to code, but I think that if you're designing websites, you should at least be able to read code and like understand what HTML and CSS are, because that's like the materials that our designs are ultimately built with. When we design something in Figma, we're creating the blueprint and the plan for what the finished product should look like. And HTML and CSS are basic building blocks for how that plan is brought to life. So when you understand them and you understand their constraints and how things are structured, you can make better design decisions. Either maybe you're making decisions about things that can speed up the build time or like actively avoid slowing it down at least. And also you can work better with the developers who are building out your websites as well. You don't have to code it yourself, but you should understand the language, at least be able to read it so that you can better communicate with the dev. I love that. I think something that we don't talk enough about as an industry is one of the best ways that designers can impact the business is actually making the engineers they work with more efficient. 
engineers mm-hmm. are expensive and if you can find little ways to like help their process and speed up you know just even what each each individual engineer is able to accomplish in a given cycle that moves the deal like financially not just making people happy like actually you are increasing the the amount that the company is able to accomplish based off of whatever the burn rate is Absolutely. And the better you understand that, the more informed your choices will be. There's times where the developer on my team says, okay, this is going to be complicated to build. And I can say, I get it. It's important because it's going to like have this result in the end and it's worth us spending time on. And then there's other times where we can say that and I'm like, great, thanks for telling me. It's absolutely not worth spending extra time on. Let me change it to this, this, and this so that it can just be like something quicker to get out. That's a really important part of, of producing work that is in that mix of art and science like we talked about. Yeah, I, it's actually one of the reasons why I kind of attribute Webflow as like a tipping point in my career as a designer because it taught me how to think about code and how front ends... Yeah actually work and even though i didn't know how to write any of the syntax i knew it was possible and i kind of i could picture like the the ui of webflow and like well i know i can align things like that which means like you can definitely do it in css and it made things so much more attainable so that when i started dabbling a little more a little bit more of the syntax it was 10 times easier than the first time i tried to learn to code which i failed miserably at I love that that was the way around you went because I look at Webflow and ask someone who has a background of like learning to code, building my own WordPress theme for my website. I was even responsible for building the ConvertKit website for the first couple of years on the team, which is just wild to think about now that I was wow. trusted to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I look at Webflow and I'm like, okay, this is the HTML and this is the CSS. You know, we've got the panel that you add things and then the panel where you style okay. things. And that's like how I wrapped my head around Webflow. So it's interesting to hear that Webflow can help you wrap your head around code. (laughs) Yeah. What was your journey like then? Once you realize, okay, I want to become more technical. I want to understand the basics of front end. Where did you look? Because I'm always trying to encourage designers to do this, but it always feels like the resources out there are geared towards engineers. And Mm. I think that it's a potentially like a little bit different when you're gearing things towards a designer more. And so I'd love to hear like how you actually went from zero to one on that understanding. So I got my first beginnings in HTML and CSS through MySpace, (laughs) through customizing MySpace profiles and like building out little custom music players and things like that. Obviously, then I had to go a lot further than that. I had one class in university on interactive design, I believe, and it was coding things in HTML, CSS, and Flash, which is a completely irrelevant skill now. (laughs) Uh, When I got really serious about coding is when I first met Nathan, CEO of ConvertKit, and he offered me a job. He said, we need to hire a marketing designer. I think you're great, we'd love to hire you. You need to learn to code. Because wow. I don't want to hire a dev onto the team. I need you to be able to build the pages that you design. And I was like, okay, I got this. Let me, let me figure this out. That's <laughs> um, cool. Tre- yeah, it was cool. It was, it was a good push. I'm glad that the team has evolved to a point where we do now have a developer on the team to handle this, especially as I feel like web frameworks have gotten way more complicated. I could not do a single thing that our senior front end dev does now. But Treehouse was my place to learn to code. I really enjoyed going through their courses. I learn best by doing. And so being told this is how to do something and then here's a little exercise to go ahead and do it 
was super valuable for me to like learn a thing, implement it. That's how it gets into my brain and I understand how it works. There's plenty of courses out there, I think, designers to learn to code. You don't need something that is focused specifically on design. I think looking at something that focuses on building out a website, naturally there's a design side to it, but yeah, it's, it's useful. I love that you said MySpace. For me, it was Tumblr. Like I, I oh, worked nice. on a little music blog and that was like my first time. And I remember the days where I just like broke the whole thing or there's just like some random string at the top of my page. Half the time, I don't know if it was actually working, but I did learn a thing <laughs> or two, so. Oh yeah, there's been many a WordPress site that I have like turned into just like blank white screen. Because yes. Of a missed <laughs> slash or incorrect quote mark. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I'd love to transition a little bit and talk about copy actually. And okay. I'm curious maybe to start, how did you arrive and refine what the tone and voice of ConvertKit copy should be? Yeah, so this is actually something that I can't take credit for. We have a fantastic head of content on our team who has been at the company longer than me. And she was first in, I think, content creator role and editor role. And so she's guiding our voice and tone, obviously with my input now as, as creative director. We work together along with our product marketing manager to define our brand personality. And so the voice and tone like lives up to that. Again, I think because we're a team of creators, the voice and tone of ConvertKit has kind of been a group effort of all of the people who are writing various things for ConvertKit over the years. But we have Danny, luckily, to like bring it all together and, and edit things with the voice and tone in mind. You talk about this struggle that we all face, which is like, does the copy come first or does the design <laughs> come first? Which is something that is touches every single project that I work on, specifically because we don't have a dedicated like UX copywriter on the team. And your answer surprised me a little bit because you, you say that actually it's the content that comes first. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? So when people get into thinking like, oh, do we write all the copy and then design it? Or do we create a design and then write copy to fill it? I think we're kind of missing a key starting point for both of those things, which is the content. What is it that we want to express through the copy and through the design? Like what message do we need to leave people with? And answering that and the way I see content is not necessarily specific words, not necessarily any specific content blocks or, or design patterns, but it's what do we need to communicate? We can figure out the exact words later. We can figure out the exact layout of the words later, but we need to know what it is that, that we want to share to people who are looking at this page. And so that's why I think that starting with content is important. If you start with copy, then perhaps you're writing something that isn't well optimized for a reader to flow through in, in a design perspective. And if you start with design first, then you're creating something pretty without any substance because you don't actually know what it is you're trying to communicate. If you start with content, then both copy and design can sort of happen simultaneously and feeding off each other because you're both working from the same base of what is the message that we need to communicate. Who owns that first content outline at ConvertKit? Ooh, that depends on the project. We have different owners and depending on different capacities as well. If it's going to be a feature page, it would be our product marketing manager who determines like this is how we position our product to best appeal to creators and like best explain our feature. There's been many times that I have been the one to create that content doc because I had a clear vision for it. And it sometimes really helps if you are the one feeling passionate about the project and feel like you understand it to get the words on the page that other people can contribute and give feedback to and say, oh, I don't think we should communicate this. It should be more like this instead. But 
you've made a start and you've gotten past the blank page fear to keep the team moving. So yeah, it, it depends is my answer. <laughs> <laughs> like any good designer, it depends. Yeah, yes. it depends. What advice do you have for a designer who feels like they're a little bit downstream of that content outline, but they want to be able to contribute towards like the overarching content strategy and maybe even improve as a copywriter and they're just kind of stuck in design land. Do you have any advice for how they can start to grow that muscle? Yeah, I think that as designers, we should have opinions on the content that we're laying out on the page. And so if you are taking content from someone and you're putting it in the order that they already said, and you think, actually, there might be a better way to communicate this. If I move this block here and this block here, then it might better help people understand the value of this product we're promoting. You should be giving that feedback. Sometimes as designers, we feel like it's not our job. And I don't know, maybe there are some teams out there where the lines are really structured and to do so, someone would be offended. But to me, that's not a productive way to get work done. So I guess just don't be afraid to give your opinion and also to consider that as well. Don't just blindly lay out the copy in the order that it's presented to you. Really think, is this the best flow for this information? Because you're designing the information on the page. And as a designer, you're gonna have thoughts on that if you really stop and consider it. How much do you take into account what competitors in the space are doing and how they write and how they think about their content? Is that like a big variable or is there strategy in actually like trying to, to veer away from the norm? Yeah, I think we have a unique perspective at ConvertKit given that we are created by a creator and that we build features specifically for creators. And so we don't tend to look at like, oh, this is what MailChimp's doing, so we have to create our version of that. I would say that I stay aware of competitors. Like I will look at their sites every now and then, definitely keep up with conversation on Twitter and see what are people saying about them compared to what are they saying about us? Because ultimately that's the brand perception that they have. And my team is responsible for building that brand perception. But I don't do competitor research like at the start of every project. I would say okay. it's more a thing that I stay aware of and the projects that I work on are probably informed by that. In particular, that comes in when a competitor has a specific way they do a feature and we know we need to communicate to our creators who are gonna use ConvertKit that the way we do it is different and it's better for you for this reason. So that's the main way that I think competitors come into the work I do. Yeah, it makes sense. So for people that haven't like watched you on YouTube, you have an incredible channel called Inside Marketing Design, where you, you basically talk with like all the coolest companies in tech <laughs> and, and figure out like how their brand and marketing teams are working. And I can only imagine how much you've learned through that process. So much. I'd like to know, like, what are the, what are the main things that you've learned that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career when you were just first starting out at ConvertKit? The ones that come to mind most are actually because we were just talking about copy. I think it was the episode I did with Johnny from Webflow way back in season one was talking about how he writes real copy to go on the landing pages that he's designing. And at that point, I had been doing like placeholder content that was indicative of what the final copy might be. Like I would mm -hmm. write a heading about the email editor you know, so that if someone's looking at it, it's not Laura Ipsum, they get a sense for what's going to be there, but it's not final words. And I think it was Johnny who talked about writing real copy because that like takes you along one step further. And so basically everything I was just sharing then about as a designer, like be the one to write on that blank page. 
I learned that from from hearing about how he approaches work cool. at Webflow. And now that's what I do at ConvertKit. Another more recent thing, I think, from the most recent season, a common theme that kept coming up was the way that brand and marketing design teams work with external agencies or other design partners to get work done. And perhaps this stood out to me because I was in a moment of like being really over capacity with my team. We just like did not have the people to get all of the work that the company needs done. And that was a really important realization for me that this is how all these other great companies are doing it is that their teams are much bigger than they appear on the surface because they have like in some cases, three to four different agencies who are handling external stuff for them, hmm. like all of the production work, even campaign work and concepting. And so we are now working with a creative as a service solution called Superside that was recommended by Justin from Oyster in a marketing inside marketing design episode. It's great. Now we have increased our capacity without having to add new headcount to the team. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Do you have the final say for who you're working with and in what capacity. So as the manager of a team at ConvertKit, I have a budget for contract help, like outsourcing. And so it's up to me how I want to apply that, whether it was to bring on another consistent freelancer to work for us part-time on retainer, or do we want to go this creative as a service solution route? Do we want to go with a traditional agency? That was on me to research and think about what our team's needs are and what the best fit would be for us. And so I did all that research, made all those decisions and documenting my thinking so that others on the team could give feedback on them, including my manager. But yeah, ultimately that was, that was my choice. This is a, a little bit of a left field question, but I have to ask it because whenever I'm on your website, which I love, I, one of the things that jumps out to me is you just have really fun typography. Everything feels oh, nice. like unique and fresh and Oh, even like the, the convert kit, um, like creator sessions, cards and all of the different, I mean, it's, it would be chaotic for me to attempt to work in all of those different type styles. And so I think that there are a lot of designers that right now feel like they're in a little bit of a typographic box and they pretty much just use inter for everything. I was going to say, and they're using inter, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I may or may not be one of those people and selfishly asking this question, but I want to know, like, what advice do you have for people to just help them get a little bit more creative with their type pairings and while making sure that it's not just pure chaos? I think that traditional graphic design is the best inspiration for this. And I actually started out my career as a graphic designer. I wasn't doing web stuff the most digital i went was designing like facebook apps when that was a thing but i most of the time was designing print resources and and print ads and i think that has been a really important foundation for me for my web design and for my digital design work to have that graphic design background because i've got like the typography and the layout experience from doing all that which i can then now come and apply to web and that's just kind of naturally how I approach web design is with more of a graphic design perspective, I guess. And just like being obsessed with fonts, collecting them, and maybe a good starting point for any designer wanting to get better at this is just to look at more fonts. There's more fonts out there than just Inter. And you can, you can be inspired by all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any like go-to uh, places or ways that you source different font inspiration? 
more like a when I see it in the moment I collect it sort of thing and I I honestly do think that things like concert posters and band merch that sort of stuff is going to have more inspiring typographic stuff for you to look at than looking at websites most of the time that's just the reality so yeah getting outside of your web design realm can help you spot more exciting fonts that you could use i have another selfish question that is entirely <laughs> for my use case and hopefully it helps other people but working at a startup a lot of times the you know people that are in the role of like a product designer are also doing marketing design because there's not other designers and it stretches me in a way that i agree does really help with some of my visual skills because you're not in the, you don't have as a lot of the constraints of like an interface. That being said, what ends up happening is I feel like I'm kind of creating each asset in isolation. And when I kind of zoom out, it, it just feels very separate, but like I don't have the guidelines figured out yet. So I am still feeling like I'm exploring. How, how would you approach a scenario like that where you don't really have these guidelines to work backwards and you're still kind of figuring out what the brand is? Uh, do you have any advice for me specifically? <laughs> for you specifically. <laughs> <laughs> I, it honestly sounds like you're going about it the right way. I feel like creating a system first and then applying it later means that you're probably building a system that won't be the right fit for all the stuff you need to produce or like you're going to have to come back and change it because there's things you didn't consider or didn't take into account. I think it's much better to do the exploring and to create individual one-off things. And then when you have enough, look at them and say like, okay, how do I turn this into a system? What are some commonalities and things that I keep finding myself drawn to as I represent our brand, as I represent our product? How can I make some rules around that that could turn into part of a system that we use to apply to assets going forward? Because having a system does help you with the decision fatigue of designing marketing assets. If you just know that like, okay, we're gonna have a product on the right side, we're gonna have a headline, we're gonna use this, this, or this color, depending on if it's this, this, or this feature of the product, that can all just help you make things faster. But you don't start there. You start from creating the things that you feel best represent your product and will be most enticing for people to want to try it. So it sounds like you're on the right track and you just need to keep creating more stuff and figuring out what it is that you feel drawn to, maybe even putting in front of some audience and you know doing some user tests to see what people want to click on most, but that you're going about it the right way. You mentioned things like layout and color. Where, what, what do you think the right level of structure within a system is when it comes to marketing design? Like, what are we kind of working towards? Because you want to find this balance, I'd imagine, between like the creativity and, and systemizing in, in the name of efficiency. Yes, exactly. The way that I approach having a system in marketing design is to make sure that I'm spending the deep work creative time where you start from a blank page on the most important assets and on the assets that are going to have the highest impact for our brand and that for everything else that should come from a system every now and then you might take it on as a project to revamp what that system is to keep things fresh because that is necessary especially in the world of uh, like direct marketing but that's how I approach it is that the, the system happens for the, the always on regular stuff and the creative work happens for the more special things that we know are going to have more impact, live for a longer time, be seen by the most amount of people. Yeah, I, I love it. It makes total sense. 
Before I let you go, I have one question that I ask everyone, which is at this point in your career, what's the main area where you feel like you can improve? Ooh, I honestly think that the main area I can improve right now is in more of the like concepting creative side. So it's been really interesting that we've had a lot of this episode talking about all the ways that I've done that well. But I think that as I've become creative director and spending more of my time on strategy, on like the deep thinking and on the like systems work that I've lost that a little bit. And I really, really want to keep that. That's very important to me. And so I want to make sure that I invest time in making sure I can activate that creative muscle when necessary, uh, even though I can't use it all the time. And that's part of the challenge, right? In being in a role like mine, where I would say like, 80% of my work is more like manager work. And then there's 20% where I'm still doing IC things. So when I can only use the creative muscle in that 20% of time, it's like harder to build it up, harder to keep it going. But I really want to. Um, I think that I have set very high standards for myself in the end product of what I'm producing. And I just think I can do better and I want to do better. And so I'm going to keep pushing on that. Good for you. Before (laughs) I let you go, I I have to give you the opportunity to just share a little bit more about your book. Like you're writing a book. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about who's it's for and what we can expect? Yeah, this is a book for anyone who is doing brand and marketing design tasks within a tech company. So it might be someone in a brand or marketing design role. It could be like you were saying, a product designer who needs to do marketing design things and doesn't know where to start, needs sort of like a framework to follow. Basically, it's going to break down the key areas of marketing design. So like creating imagery and assets, creating systems, creating a marketing website, all that sort of stuff and talk about how you can do those things really effectively, both to impact the business, but also to save yourself time because brand and marketing designers are often overworked and like solo designers on the team. And I hope that this book will help them to first, I need to actually finish writing it. (laughs) 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 Well, if it's anything like this conversation, I'm sure it's going to be immensely helpful. This is maybe I should just take the transcript from this conversation. And then boom, there's my book. (laughs) Feed it into chat GPT, throw up a waitlist page and you're good to go. (laughs) One thing I will promise everybody is that my book will be handwritten by me and not chat GPT. (laughs) Perfect. Human made. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Charlie. This has been awesome and super grateful to have you on. Thanks for your great questions, Red.